0: We are back, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to a fresh edition of ESPN's Formula One podcast. I'm Alexis Unis, and as always, I'm here with one of my gurus, Lawrence Edmondson. Nate, we've given him the day off because it's arm day, and you know Nate does not want to miss arm day in the gym. But it's okay. He's probably going to slap me for saying that, but it's all right. (laughs) He knows I mean it with love. If you've seen him, Nate's gotten sore. He's on some Lewis Hamilton kind of exercise routine, so power to nate but we do have a double g a guest guru and we're super excited to pick his brain about everything that's been going on his racist f1 correspondent chris Medland. that was me clapping oh, thanks very much <laughs> i know I'll super excited that. to have you <laughs> super super thank you excited very much yeah looking forward you. to this i know sorry that nate couldn't join the party but you know what it's okay you can steal his thunder in this one
1: yeah, uh, I can tell he just doesn't like me, that guy. There's something, there's something there. So, I'll, yeah, I'll have, I'd say I have words with him, but you're right. He probably is, like, focused on arm day, and I shouldn't really get involved. So.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't get involved with him, not when his arms are sore as ever. But let's move on. Let's talk about what you've been going through first. I figure that's a perfect place to start with. And I know you've got some funny inside stories, too, that we'll definitely get to. But just see if you can paint the picture of us, because we're obviously living vicariously through you over the last two weekends, an unprecedented start to a Formula One season, so just what's it been like, what differences have you felt, seen, smelt, tests that you've obviously had to go through?
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, they're fun, everyone talks about the tests, don't they, but they are um, interesting, so yeah, I had to get tested before even flying out to the first race, to have a certificate to uh, travel uh, and get into Austria, Um, so I did a very brutal COVID-19 test uh, on the Monday before the first race, and then from the Thursday, just got to the circuit, and it's complete lockdown for media in the sense of uh, you arrive you go through a temperature check and then you go into uh, the media center building it's a one-way system you go straight up in a lift uh, only two of you allowed in at a time into a media center that you're not allowed to leave Um, and that's it you stay there all day you do everything via video call you might as well be at home really Um, but you have a great view of the circuit Uh, and then there was a few snippets like i'm I'm one of the lucky ones i do some work with the fia hosting some press conferences which is one of the reasons i need to be on the ground Uh, but for the f1 press conferences uh, there's, there's been a few snippets where we get to ask additional questions. That content still went to everyone. Um, but yeah, we just get to kind of react a little bit more than people that weren't lucky enough to be on the ground here. So uh, yeah, it's been strange actually, kind of felt a bit outcast in a way because you're told, do not come in the paddock, um, you know, stay away from everyone else to do with Formula One. Um, but you can say you're here. So uh, there is that. And uh, and as you say, yeah, the, the main things I've got to show for it so far are the odd byline that that tells people I was here and I didn't get really anything extra and a lot of mosquito bites.
2: Chris, one thing that surprised me was a few drivers saying that uh, they actually really noticed the fans not being there, especially, I guess, when they got out of the uh, car, having either got pole position or won the race. Um, Did you notice uh, a huge amount being there? Because um, I know when we're we're at races, the fans, uh, you know, they're they're ever present, whether you're going into the track, whether you're kind of going through the campground. So so did it feel like a bit of a ghost town?
1: Yeah, it was strange. Um, obviously, Lawrence, you know uh, Red Bull Ring very well. And as you come in, there's the footbridges over the road uh, to allow fans to come in. And they say, uh, welcome race fans on them. Uh, and of course, race fans were not welcome uh, this time round. So uh, that was a bit odd. It was quite nice in a sense. You could rock up at any time you wanted and there was no traffic to get in. You just drove straight in. So that was quite good. Um, but uh, actually, Austria is one that's very well set up. Um, so the access has always been quite good there for media even showing up when it's packed um you didn't obviously once you're in the media center again you didn't actually notice it because you don't normally go and interact with them too much um i think if anything it was just like you say when when it all finished and the place just fell quiet and there was no kind of drama that went beyond that. So even when you've got people like um, Bob Joros doing the, the, the big champagne shout at the end of the podium and, uh, and the music going, and it just seemed to lack an edge because you haven't got air horns going off and flags waving and, and people running onto the track to see the podium. So uh, yeah, that side of it was a bit strange, but aside from that, actually, no, you didn't notice it a, a huge amount. And I think it helps because Formula One, you know, the, the sound of the engines, gives atmosphere. And often it's even hard to hear the fans over that. So you didn't feel like the atmosphere was actually lacking quite as much as maybe you would with other sports.
0: All right. Well, you did mention a certain name right there. And we'll just start there. Charles Leclerc. Um, Obviously, he's had a, a bit of an up and a down kind of, you know, in the last two weekends. And we have to start there in terms of this last weekend, the action that we saw at the Styrian Grand Prix. And it was an absolute nightmare for Ferrari. And I Hope you've definitely heard um, us speaking with Nate and Lawrence and they've already predicted that this is going to be a tough, long, nightmarish season for Ferrari. But I just thought that this one, this last drama that we saw the weekend with both of them going out was just the icing on a monstrous cake for them. What did you make of it? Did you see the drivers after the race? Because obviously we saw when Charles came out and took the blame, but you know, is there something else going on back there?
1: I tell you, that's one of the things that's most frustrating about the times that we have now. We're not allowed in the paddock. Um, so only TV crews get to interview the drivers and then the media sessions take place on, on video conferencing, um, which is fine because it means everyone who normally would be at a race can be on the same call and, and that side of it is as normal as possible. But Ferrari very quickly did the TV that they had to, which was limited because there's not so many crews here and uh, and it's it's a bit of an odd situation with the social distancing that they do there. And then they canceled their post-race press. So we've not had a chance to speak to them or see them or ask them anything. Uh, They could kind of just run away and hide because they already had the distance between us um, across the track. And yeah, the first time we'll get to really talk to them about it will be uh, when Lawrence and I are on a similar call to this on on Thursday with the FIA uh, drivers press conference. So uh, they've so far dodged it while it calms down. And like you say, it was, um, it could have been huge. I think, Charles did kind of diffuse it slightly by taking full responsibility. Um, I don't think Mattia Bonotto helped by then not saying, good for Charles taking responsibility, it was clearly all his fault, and, and then moving on, he kind of went, oh, we don't want to impose blame. And all the Vettel fans are going, well, hang on. One guy just said, it's all my fault. Seb didn't really have a go at him for it, but clearly wasn't at fault. And the team boss comes out and he's like, oh, we don't really want to blame anybody. And you know if the shoe was on the other foot uh, that, that you'd have had Bonotto saying, oh, Seb needs to learn from that or shouldn't be doing that. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was a bit strange, I thought. But, um, yeah, we'll look forward to Thursday to find out uh, what they want to say because they'll sit next to each other for that.
2: And that was a frustrating thing, wasn't it? Because I think normally if Benosso had said that in a press conference with us, somebody would have followed up and kind of pushed the point. But because you have these socially distanced TV cameras, they don't necessarily know what the previous people have said so they're all asking the same first question which is you know who do you blame or what's going on and he gives us one answer and then moves on so yeah Ferrari very tactically kind of used the Covid protocols to get away from answering some tough questions I feel uh last week but yeah we, we've got uh Mattia Bonotto in Friday's press conference I believe and then we've also got the two drivers speaking on Thursday so yeah keep it tuned to uh to hopefully get some reaction
0: one oh, week on And without obviously giving us your questions, because I know we'll save them for the big hurrah that is these awkward press conferences that are done virtually. I mean, I guess just from both of you, what do you want to know? Like, what do you really want to know that happens? Because I always know, I mean, from what I've spoken, of course, with Lawrence and and Nate. but I suppose it is like that for sports in general. Like they always stuff happen and then you get their side, but their side is a side that's trying to save face. And then there's a real stuff that's going on. So what do you think is the real stuff that's going on and what, you know, what do you want to know really from this press conference coming up?
1: Well, from my point of view, I'd want to know Vettel's reaction to Benotto's comments now, because you've had what Leclerc said and I think Seb would quite graciously say, yeah, you know, clearly I wasn't in the wrong and, and Charles was and, and admitted it. But then because he's leaving to say, well, the, the guy that you're clearly not too happy with because he phoned you up and said that he wasn't going to keep you when you weren't expecting it uh, and... I mean, recently Vettel's been disputing Bonotto's account of how it's all gone down. Um, he also didn't turn around and kind of fully back you in the situation or, or criticise the guy that took out both cars on the first lap. So how does that make you feel, essentially? Uh, and it might be that he says, no, it's no problem. Like, that's the way a manager's got to work. But I get the feeling Vettel in his current state is probably going to um, not be too happy about that scenario. So that's, that's what I'm most interested to to hear. In a sense, it's a shame that Bonotto's is not going to be sat there too. But um, maybe that will give free, uh, Vettel a bit more freedom to speak his mind.
2: Yeah, so that was the way Ferrari always did their press conferences after a race, was the three of them would be sat in the same room. and um, For the most part, um, I think it worked quite well, and it was, you know, even when there were some tough times, they were often able to kind of smooth it over a bit by having them, the three of them sat there, but I'm trying to remember, there was another example, was it Russia last year where they, well, I think Russia last year they did do it, but it was very kind of hastily arranged in a, in a separate room, and, uh, and it was quite difficult to get uh, questions in, and then there's another one where, where I think they, maybe after Brazil, where they, where they didn't do it. I can't remember. There was, there was somewhere where, where they didn't do it as well. So, uh, But it, it, it is good when you have the three of them sat there and, and they're kind of, you know, um, alongside each other. The other example we'll have of that, I believe, is uh, Cyril Abitbol and um, Otmar Zafnauer from Renault and Racing Point, which, of course, at the moment have a big uh, argument going on over the brake ducts on the, on the Racing Point and whether they're legal. So having those two sat next to each other should make some entertaining viewing as well. So... Um, these press conferences can be good, can't they? But um, yeah, for, for me, it's the same as Chris. I think getting Vettel's thoughts on anything Ferrari related at the moment is particularly interesting because he's getting to the point where he knows he doesn't have a future there. So it's really just kind of starting to speak his mind. And we saw that already in the early races.
0: We had, like, at this point, what do you expect? Because Lauren said that that's what he would be keeping his eyes on because it is like if it's a rebellious kind of swan song for him then why not? Will we see more of these? And how miserable will it be for Charles Leclerc going forward, at least for this season and what's left of it?
1: Yeah, exactly. And I don't know what Lawrence thinks, but I'm starting to edge towards the fact that we might see Vettel not see out the season at Ferrari. I think that that relationship looks so, um, potentially so toxic um, because of the way they've treated him and the way that he's now kind of reacting, that if Ferrari really are at the sort of level that we think and they're not going to be fighting at the front and they just think, let's just fresh start, um, you know, pay off the rest of this year's contract, move him out. They'll have to agree a fee to get Carlos Sainz early, but then that fee would cover McLaren getting Daniel Ricciardo early and Renault probably won't complain about getting Fernando Alonso early. There's a nice little train there that could happen. So um, I'm starting to think that's actually a a real possibility this year. And um, yeah, I think this is probably going to be a year for Ferrari to write off. Lawrence? Yeah, I mean,
2: that's an interesting one, actually. I have not really thought about how it would be so easy for all those teams to take on next year's driver and move it along. Um, I don't know where, I'd, a lot of it will come down to like nitty-gritty of contracts, I should imagine, and stuff like that. Uh, and But then Ferrari's other option would maybe just be bring Giovinazzi straight into, uh, into Ferrari. He's under contract there. Uh, and then Alfa Romeo would have to, you know, uh, plug that hole as well. But yeah, um, I, I, I think undoubtedly Ferrari are looking at two years of rebuilding. Um the big advantage that they've relied on for the last two years was engine performance and that's been taken away for whatever reason so uh, that's left them with uh, a pretty serious uh, and large kind of challenge to, uh, to 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 find that performance again elsewhere and so far they haven't done it so um as if you know if you're running Ferrari realistically and you're still you know looking at winning championships i think you're looking to 2022 at the earliest Uh, it's got to that stage because you'd say the same about all the other midfield teams at the moment and that's where Ferrari are.
0: Lando Norris and I have to squeeze him in just to get your thoughts on... Exactly how he's been doing these last two weekends that have been monumental for him, even when he had to take that grid penalty. He still came back. It's so funny because I know we at ESPN F1 on our social posted that story and said these are the two drivers in second and third in the driver's standings. And it's Lewis, a young looking Lewis, as he still always looks young, but Lando that literally looks like his baby, baby, baby brother or cousin or something, and it's so funny to see Lando up there, but it's so refreshing to see him, and it really couldn't be happening to a better, happier person, could it?
1: No, I mean, one, the, st- the way he's done it, like final laps, you don't really need to tune in for the rest of the race with Lando <laughs> Norris, you just tune in for the final <laughs> lap and watch absolute brilliant unfold. I mean, um, I didn't think he could top the first race and pulling out the fastest lap to close down Lewis, but the fact that he did that and overtook two cars... Um, it was so decisive. He's definitely uh, stepped up his game in terms of his confidence on the track. Um, but you're right, he's, he's very much a happy-go-lucky sort of guy. I did an interview with him, actually, before the first race, but in Austria, and talked about his self-confidence and the way he goes about things. And he just says he wants people to be happy, and he feels that he has the right beliefs and has been well brought up. So if, if he feels that what he says is kind of going to lead towards more people thinking, oh, yeah, like... I think that's cool too. Right, yeah. You know, rather than being kind of too controversial, then he's going to say it rather than sit quietly and assume everyone thinks the same thing. Uh, and the, the manner he delivers a lot of stuff or says a lot of things uh, is either very impressive or very entertaining, So, or sometimes both. Um, and I, yeah, I've, I've been really impressed with him actually because I thought he was a little bit immature coming into F1, I'll admit. And there's been times you still think it during last year, um, but it didn't really affect his results last year too much. You felt he was building quite nicely. But this year it's so impressive. He's only 20 years of old still. Um, And to to deliver the way he has, Um, yeah, really, really impressive and and great to watch.
0: I think that's something that Lawrence actually said that in the last, in this season, I mean, before we knew it was going to be this kind of a season, it would be interesting to see exactly how, you know, he comes into his own because... We can stop calling him a rookie because he's not a rookie anymore, even though he's young and jovial and stuff. But Lawrence, you also must be impressed with his development or his this progress, even though we're careful not to, you know, go over with our expectations of him. It has only been two weekends. And Nate has warned us that in Formula One, we're quick to do the whole flavor of the month thing. And we definitely don't want Lando to be that. We want to see him continue down this path. Right.
2: Yeah, I think so. But the the really positive thing from his first two races is that he was improving on maybe where he was lacking a bit last year. So last year he would sometimes get a bit lost in races, uh, but his qualifying performance was always uh, pretty pretty good. So it's good to see that the early signs are that, you know, whatever uh, he was still missing. And remember, he was a rookie last year, so rookies are always missing or have weaknesses somewhere. Um, he's starting to fill in those gaps and uh, become a, you know, a complete driver so um, yeah as Chris said it's so easy to uh, forget how young he is as well mm. uh, which is true of a number of the drivers on the grid but uh, certainly with Lando so um, yeah he's got such a bright future ahead of him and uh, it really helps when you're a driver starting out in your career and you're at a team that is also on the up and there's no doubt that McLaren uh, over the last two years have made significant progress and that just makes everything you do look a little bit more impressive because you know if people compare it to the mclaren of 2018 you know all of a sudden if you said in 2018 lando norris is going to be driving for mclaren and he's going to get a podium at the first race of the season people would have been like shut up that's not happening <laughs> there's no way that is happening <laughs> and there he is doing it so um so, so that's great whereas you've got someone like george russell who i believe is as talented uh, i think uh, is potentially a, a, a better all-round driver but he's stuck in a williams kind of like trying to grind out you know 12th on the grid as as this amazing performance and then trying to uh, maybe overdrive a bit in the race because the car just isn't there. So uh, everything's come to Lando, but the fact that he's got the talent to make that work uh, is hugely important and I've been hugely impressed by it.
0: Definitely. Well, two other things that definitely caught our eye this weekend. I'll get to the first one too, and that's the uh, the, I suppose, <laughs> I don't even know, the robot trophy presenters, if we even <laughs> want to call them that, because... <laughs> I mean, they're out there taking people's jobs now. Like, you won't even have the grid girls back. But anyways, I mean, what did you think of those? I think they're absolutely brilliant, to be fair.
1: I love them. They're hilarious. <laughs> so we got to see them. Um, I don't know if it was broadcast, but I think it was the Formula 3 race. The first F3 race on Saturday morning was when they were first used. Um, and you were like, wow, what are these? But even then, not, not enough people were paying attention, I think. And it was the, maybe the F2 race where people saw it. Um, and you just wanted to show people, but you're not allowed to obviously film footage of anything at the track or film the TV. So um, we had to wait for FOM basically to put out some of the footage and just be like, check these out. But even then, obviously, it's hardly anyone who's seen them. And I, I, I remember being excited at the moment that they were going to get used before the F1 podium at what the reaction was going to be. And Lewis's face said it all, oh, because for some of these guys, they're like, well, hang on. like How far are we going here? A person wearing gloves can't even <laughs> hand me a trophy. Because I've seen they disinfect those trophies beforehand as well. I saw in the Porsche paddock, they're wiping them down before the race and stuff. They're so careful with it all, but still. And I like the way it needs a little nudge before it gets moving. It won't, it won't just go on its own. Um, the guy that normally sorts the trophies out, whose job is to you know, coordinate a lot of stuff, goes up to which one needs to move first and just gives it a little push. And then it, then it starts to trundle over to whoever, <laughs> to whoever needs to, to pick the trophy up. It's hilarious.
0: I absolutely love them. Lawrence, I know you, you like to get nerdy. You
2: were a fan of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know how you could not love them. It's funny. Lewis said he wasn't that impressed by it afterwards. Uh, He was asked about it. um, And he said, uh, basically on lines of, I don't see why we can't just have a person come and give it to us. The other odd thing being that that's what happened at the first race, where you would have thought the protocols would be at the highest they possibly could be. And then they bring in the uh, the, the robots for the second race. But um, hey, you know, I'm I'm not complaining. I think anything like that, uh, it's a weird situation right now. Why not just have some weird little kind of uh, things and, you know, just embrace it? So, yeah, I think it's quite cool.
1: Lawrence and I do a bit of karting sometimes together. And um, he's the one who's more likely to get on the podium, I must add. But I'll, I'll be disappointed if the next time we don't do it, they don't come up with little robots to give us trophies there as well. That's, that's got to be the standard now across all sports.
0: I'm sure we can work that out. I'm sure we'll do an episode of this podcast when we're allowed to, again, go out and socialise as much as we'd want to. We'll have a little showdown in the karts. Nate can be commentator, and I'll, I'll give our robots a little nudge. I'll be the nudge queen. I like, I like <laughs> the sound of that. Nate's,
1: Nate's not bad at a go kart either, especially if he's, if he's working on arm day. He's going to be strong in the Ooh. corners. So, uh, like, we'll have to, he, he can get involved as well.
0: But, anyways, you guys were talking about Lewis, and then that's where my next point is because Lewis um, he brought out and gave some serious props to his trackside fluid engineer, Stephanie Travers. Amazing story for her, an amazing feat that she has done. I'll just read a little bit about his tribute that he paid to her on social media. He said on Sunday, she became the first black woman to stand on the podium in formula one history. This is an amazing achievement. And I just wanted to acknowledge her for her hard work, positivity and passion for her job. He goes on to say Stephanie was selected out of 7,000 applicants for her role. Steph says she wants to inspire young black children and children of color to believe that they can do it too. And I couldn't agree more. And then Chris, let me just start with you there. Cause you of course were there. I mean, just how monumental was this, especially given the current climate, given all the work Lewis has been doing for Black Lives Matter and just diversifying the sport and the steps that Formula One has taken in helping diversify the sport?
1: Yeah, I think it's very important. I think it was a, a smart move for Mercedes because uh, Stephanie's been there for a, a quite a while now, actually, I think a couple of years. She won the Petronas um, kind of search for an engineer um, mm. to fill that role. And that's why, when Lewis says, you know, it's a highly competitive kind of essentially a competition but um, I mean we're talking extremely high level because these are you know very clever engineers that do these roles uh, and to really acknowledge her her position um, and similarly as well we talk about um, you know part of Mercedes dominance those two weekends was the power unit performance and a lot of that will come from your fuel supplier and things like that so there's, there's this is really intertwined with why Mercedes are good um, so I think it was just a really smart move to acknowledge that at this time and um, I did like the way Lewis wanted to to highlight it as well it kind of um, I'd say kind of gave power to his argument that Mercedes have been very proactive on this front uh, and he, he came out the same evening and was complaining that other teams really haven't pledged a huge amount or haven't said they're going to do a lot they've just said that they're against racism and that's it uh, and he wants to see a little bit more from some other people on the grid uh, which is brave for him to speak out in that way but um, uh, because yeah he opens himself up to criticism from those teams because he's not part of them but I, I've I've been impressed with the way he's gone about things and the way Mercedes have too and I, I do think that was important and um, and yeah cleverly done um, and that's not me being, being cynical at all that's just you know that it was it needed acknowledging it probably was um, almost disappointing they thought that they hadn't uh, had on a podium before because they've had enough wins. <laughs> Lawrence
0: what was just your yeah. thoughts on it? On
1: the... Yeah so just give a bit of background
2: on that because Mercedes win so often they do tend to put people up from different departments and so on so it's, let's say if Racing Point won it would almost certainly be the technical director or the team principal that goes up, which was the traditional way of doing it in Formula One. It was the team boss would go up. But Mercedes had this really nice uh, thing of, of spreading, you know, the, uh, the the congratulations around the different departments. And uh, Stephanie, yeah, I think she's been there for a year. I, I remember um, when she won that, uh, won that award with Petronas to basically go and work in Formula One. And, um, you know, we talked to her a bit then and she's a really, really lovely person. Uh, and she does have a very important job because those trackside engineers working on uh, the petrol and the fuel, uh, sorry, petrol and the oil, they'll uh, take oil samples after every session and they'll be one of the first ones to see if there's a potential engine problem because if you find little bits of metal floating around in the oil, it's an early sign that the engine could be about to let go. So uh, the work they do is absolutely essential to making sure that the car runs reliably uh, throughout the weekend. So, um, yeah, it was great to see her up there and I think uh, brilliant for Lewis as well to kind of you know, uh, champion her on, on, on social media.
0: Yeah, that was absolutely brilliant to see. Love a bit of girl power in it. Let's definitely, I suppose, leave Austria behind because I know Chris soon has to leave Austria behind and then head on over to Hungary, which is uncharted territories now, Chris, because there's an interesting situation that Lawrence kind of hinted to at the weekend. Um, It sounds very interesting, but you're actually going to have to live through it. So what are you expecting from your travel over to Hungary now?
1: Yeah, so we're luckier as uh, the few media that are here um, that we're kind of left a bit to our own devices because we're kept so separate from the rest of F1. Uh, You have to be sensible, follow guidelines, avoiding people as much as possible, but it's very much self-policing. So uh, when I've been in Austria, I'm able to go out, go out for a run, um, kind of exercise outside, eat out as long as you're making sure you're sitting somewhere socially distant, that sort of thing, Um, sitting outside all the time. Teams don't have that um, as much. They've been a lot more strict. But going to Hungary, uh, basically what the teams all have to adhere to is not only an F1 guideline. Uh, for non-EU citizens and UK citizens, it is um, basically written into government law right now, uh, their their measures. So if you go out, you're not allowed outside your hotel or the track. The, the only two places you're allowed to be in that country are the hotel and the track or travelling between the two. Uh, and if you are found to be breaking those rules, uh, the... Possible punishments are up to a €15,000 fine or imprisonment, which sounds fun. So, um, yeah, the teams basically are being told um, everything that F1's told you, and you would have got you know some form of slap on the wrist at the very least if, if you were really flouting those rules. Um, now, yeah, now the, now the um, kind of punishment doesn't bear thinking about. So uh, we found out on Saturday. It was very late. It was a new change in the regulations, the way Hungary's reacting to things. Uh, they don't seem to be taking too kindly to um, Britain at the moment. Um, we won't go into the whole Brexit debate, but that's obviously got part of something to do with it. Uh, so we were able to change our, uh, change our travel plans and, and only head over on Thursday. So it's the least amount of time to adhere to those rules. I mean, it's fine to have to do it. It's just the, that threat of such a huge punishment. It's, it's a weird thing. If, you, if you're told you can go outside for a run, you probably wouldn't do it because I'm too lazy. But when I'm told I can't, And if I do, I'm going to prison. It just feels so much more oppressive that you're like, I think I'll I'll stay this side of the border for a bit longer. So, yeah, a lot of people have gone in already and it's been fine, but they are going a bit stir-crazy already, stuck in their hotel rooms for the last couple of days. So um, I imagine a lot of people will be looking forward to uh, getting out on Sunday night or Monday.
0: Yeah, I definitely would not be risking imprisonment um, at all. Uh, That's that's a scary... To be fair, €15,000 fine anyways... Is a big scare enough for us commoners? <laughs> so imprisonment would just be like even more of a slap on both wrists in the face. I,
1: I think it. I think it was Christian Horner that was saying um, that it could be a very expensive weekend for the team because he was hinting <laughs> that if one bubble of mechanics go out for dinner, it's going to cost him like eighty thousand euros or something stupid. So um, yeah, they're, they're they're having to make sure everyone stays and adheres to it and. Uh, I think for some of the teams and mechanics, they were looking at Budapest. Because as a city, apparently, it's completely normal. Uh, It's it's completely opened up. It's totally fine if you are given the freedom to go out. And I think some of the teams were thinking in their little mini bubbles um, that they might be able to go out for dinners and things like that. It's quite an open, outdoor uh, city. So uh, they were hoping that they were going to get a little bit more freedom than they'd had in Austria. And instead, it's the other way around. So I think at the end of three tough weeks away, trying to get the season started, it's just... It is tough for people to have to, to go through, but that's that's the way it's got to be to go racing at the moment.
0: All right, well, let's get straight into exactly what we expect from this weekend and the track Um, in Hungary. It is not a back-to-back race weekend, so just one weekend in Hungary there before everything comes here, I suppose, to the UK. But um, the story, Chris, of last weekend, I know Nate and Lawrence were secretly hoping that we'd see something anywhere properly challenge Mercedes and probably give them a new headline but of course Mercedes won both weekends however this last weekend was the Lewis Hamilton that we saw was the Lewis Hamilton that makes him Lewis Hamilton I mean you know I know there was these conversations that we started having when Lewis had an off weekend and of course Valtteri won that one and we started getting excited and thinking "Ooh, could Valtteri make a run for it But then Lewis came back and we said that nobody quite bounces back like Lewis Hamilton. I know Hungary is also looking like Lewis Hamilton territory, but what are you expecting from this weekend and can anyone even dare to challenge him?
1: Uh, I, th- I think Red Bull will be really hoping to be closer in Hungary. Um, I think they were, well, I know they were surprised, uh, Honda said it themselves, they were surprised at Mercedes gains over the winter in terms of their qualifying performance mode, but also, yeah, in the race it helped too, especially in Austria where you've got lots of long straights uh, and power is crucial. And um, I think that the fact that Hungary doesn't have those long straights, uh, different types of corners there too, I-, I think Red Bull are expecting it to suit their car more for starters, which should bring them a bit closer and potentially suit Mercedes slightly less. Because um, I, I think I'm right in saying that Mercedes still have a, a longer wheelbase. I'll let Lawrence get nerdy in a second. But Ooh, um, <laughs> the, the shorter wheelbase should be more suited to the, the tighter, twistier um, Hungara ring, which is something that Lewis mentioned on Monday, uh, Sunday night as well. So I think the two should converge a little bit. But like you say, Lewis has been mighty around that circuit. I think he's about to, or he's, he's after Michael's record of wins around there uh, if he wins this weekend. So... Yeah, it's um, it's I'd still have Hamilton as favourite, but I'd have it right now. I'd I'd say it's Hamilton Viva Stappen at this point. Uh, I'd be expecting actually a really good scrap there, which is a little bit damning on Valtteri, like you said. Um, you know, he was impressive for that first weekend, but at the same time, even Lewis having an off weekend was closing him down in that first stint and was putting pressure on him in the second stint and just looked slightly quicker. Um, but Valtteri had the upper hand in track position. Flip it round to the second race, and Lewis was in a league of his own. So. Um, yeah I I think I think it'll be Lewis against Max but um, hey that's still a great matchup
2: yeah I I, I think we could that's what I'm hoping for as well and uh, there's a number of reasons that Red Bull should be a little bit more confident going into uh, Hungary Uh, one is that their slow speed performance so uh, kind of out of corners like turn three in uh, Austria actually looked better than Mercedes so uh, if you kind of hope that the slower corners in, uh, in Hungary kind of play to that strength then we might see that as well. Um, and the other thing is, uh, it seemed like the um, the Honda engine was uh, the MG UK. So the electrical boost was cutting a little bit towards the end of some of the straights in in Austria. You don't have those long straights in Hungary. So um, you know that's another uh, kind of area where hopefully Red Bull will the, the weakness they have w- won't be as obvious. So I reckon there's a real high chance of it. The thing is, if it if that doesn't happen, if we don't see a battle between Verstappen and Hamilton for victory, then it's looking really bad for Red Bull this year, and it's looking like probably one of Mercedes' most dominant seasons uh, in a long list of dominant seasons. So, um, yeah, we, we, we kind of got our fingers crossed from a competitive point of view that, uh, that Red Bull can do something. Been to see what happens with Alex Albon as well, because uh, I feel like after coming so close in that first race, uh, obviously aided by a couple of safety cars to get into that position, but still. Uh, after looking so good in that first race um, he didn't look very good in in, in the next one and really Rebel Bull have talked about this before with uh, their second driver when they had Pierre Gasly there they need another driver in that front battle because that helps put pressure on uh, you know the Mercedes drivers as well because they can attempt to undercut them with pit stops and stuff like that uh, to basically force Mercedes hand a little bit with strategy and uh, in Austria they only, they're only they're basically two versus one, and uh, considering they had a slightly slower car anyway, uh, that really that really hurt them. So my hope is that uh, Albon, whatever problems he was having, it seemed to be when the car was fully laden with fuel. Uh, he can sort those out on Friday and, and, and go running. The, the other factor is that um, when it was very hot on Friday in Austria, uh, Red Bull looked closer to Mercedes than when the temperatures cooled off slightly on Sunday. So uh, it's usually hot in Budapest. I don't know what the weather forecast is. Chris is on the border. I don't know how hot it is outside, but, um, but that, that's my hope
0: to get some podium predictions from you guys i want you to give me your podiums that you think are definitely going to happen and then if we are to see a shock podium give me your prediction there so your three and then a potential shock podium although if lando norris podium finishes again will that be a shock now because now my expectations are so high for for good old lando but let's start with lawrence then and then we'll give Chris some time to think over his so lawrence
2: okay i, I- I feel like you've allowed us to go for the most boring possible podium because we have that <laughs> because we have that Joker. So mix otherwise, I would have framed something. Otherwise, I've framed something. So the most obvious one and the one that I kind of am hoping for slightly uh, is Verstappen to win ahead of two Mercedes, which is going to be a big challenge. But uh, let's hope for that. And then Lewis and then Bottas. I think you know uh, those two cars, no matter what the track, are the two fastest cars in Form One right now. Uh, and Albon isn't really in that mix for the reasons we just discussed. So that would be my top three. But um, I think it's about time Racing Point get a podium, uh, given the performance of that car and the fact that uh, you know, um, it's, uh, it's looking very quick. Funnily enough, this probably isn't the sort of track that's going to suit that car, but I still think it's um, the class of the midfield. And it might make, if we don't get uh, a, a solution on the braked up saga, um, which I think we may do by then, but if, if we don't, then it makes it even more spicy because there's a podium riding on it as well. So I'm going to go with Perez for that one.
1: Interesting. I've got I've got different. Um, oh, okay. I've got exactly the same, exactly the same with the boring one. I'm going to give Verstappen, Hamilton, Bottas as well. <laughs> the um,
0: boring one, just our regular podium yeah. predictions.
1: <laughs> yeah, but admittedly, I mean, yeah, that's we we'd want to see that, I think, as well. Um, and I do think it will be um, that much closer. And Verstappen has still been massively impressive, so I think give him a sniff yeah. there, you'll get it. Um, but then my less boring one is going to be based on similar theme in the. Um, Verstappen's going to be up there mixing it, but I'm going to say it's all going to go wrong with him and Lewis. So I'm going to have Bottas, Albon, Ricciardo, um, oh. and so Bottas not quite being in the fight with the front two picks up the pieces when they take each other out essentially. Uh, Albon the same, just kind of is not quite there, but finally it falls for him that being the fourth quickest car means he's second when those two are gone. Uh, and yeah, Ricardo looked all right in um, mm-hmm. in that second Austria race actually, but um, kind of fell foul of the move from Stroll on the last or the penultimate lap. Uh, and then got sort of bolts to the back of that midfield group. But Renault are just about in it. And this is a track he's done well at before. Um, and I think I'm right in saying that, yeah, as Lawrence says, the Mercedes power unit won't be as dominant um, or won't be as much an advantage around the Hungara ring. Um, I feel like McLaren is actually set up a little bit better to be an efficient car again. Um, so I, I think this will be one that might suit the Renault a little bit more. And I'm just going to let's have Danny Rick on the podium and a big old smile.
0: Oh, God, gotta love that smile, man. Million dollar, trillion dollar smile from Danny Ricardo, And we haven't seen it as much as we'd like to. We probably should have a, like, separate Lando prediction. We should have a last lap Lando prediction just, just because, just because and keep it for this season. So, I mean, before we get into some questions, I have to ask you guys what, what we're seeing from Lando this weekend.
1: Uh, it's a tough one on that track. So I'm going to say a, a last lap incident. I think he's going oh. to go for something somewhere, but it's a hard track to overtake. Um, and I think he's going to be... He's, he's more confident, clearly, but he's still 20. And I think, yeah, he goes, he goes for a move that doesn't actually quite come off. Lawrence. That's what I'm going with. Um,
2: I'm going to say he is running a comfortable seventh. There's no one behind him, and they put on some fresh tires, and he gets faster slap again, and he goes into... having done the first three races, he's got two of the fastest laps, which would be pretty impressive. Uh, and McLaren would have all of them, in fact, because Science took mm-hmm. it in uh, Austria too. So yeah, uh, McLaren clearly loving those fast laps at the moment. So uh, I'm going to say not quite the highs of the first two races, but he still gets fast fastest lap.
0: Nate will love that because Nate has definitely dubbed him Last Lap Lando and he spent two hours trying to think of that nickname and it just came to him. So we're going to do <laughs> that. <laughs> all right, well, let's get straight to our pit stop is what we're calling it. And this is going to be a segment that we're going to have going through for all of our podcasts that we do midweek where we take questions from all of you guys, our listeners on social media, whether it's Twitter and Facebook on ESPN F1. Uh, we've asked for predictions as well as questions for our gurus, so let's just get straight into it. Eagle Mustache says, <laughs> the, po- <laughs> the podium robot to finish ahead of Ferrari. <laughs> oh, they are harsh on this one. Cinema. Well, oh, go ahead.
2: The, the podium robot will be on the podium.
0: And oh, I don't think yes. Ferrari
2: will be, so. I mean, you can take that. I don't know. I mean, I, That's the only thing I can take from that, that prediction.
0: Oh, my gosh. You might need to send some aloe vera over to Mattia Binotto for that burn that Lawrence just gave him. <laughs> oh, but Cinnamon is asking, can McLaren keep its hot streak going and will Sainz outfinish Lando?
1: Uh yes, and I'll say this weekend too. Actually, uh, Lando has good experience around the Hungara Ring. I think his first test in F one car was McLaren properly was there, um, in not a very good car to be fair. But the um, yeah, Science is just finding his feet a bit this year. It seems just, and even then he's still there or thereabouts. Um, you know, Lando isn't a million miles ahead of him when, when he does finish clear of him. Uh, I think we overlooked looked Science a little bit in the in both the first two races. He still picked up solid points, as Lawrence said, fastest lap again um so yeah i think i think mclaren can keep it going it's very impressive their consistency and the way they just seem to get everything out of their opportunities and it 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 happened a lot last year kind of kept waiting for the bubble to burst and it never did and now you're starting to think "Mm, it's not it's not fluke or there's not going to be something that trips them up as big as as i was expecting i think that they've been very impressive
0: nicole says last lap lando strikes again i'm loving that prediction there but i'll see what did she mean by strike does she mean strikes for a podium finish or just strikes for a brilliant finish for for lando because i mean fourth or fifth could be a good finish for him cory says max one lewis two and ocon three louis says ferrari front row on saturday luke says i'm going to be bold here mercedes one and two <laughs> that second prediction is better
1: than the first one
0: and, and aaron <laughs> says george will make it into q2 in the dry. I suppose let's get your opinions there because like we said, George Russell has been impressive, especially this last weekend. And I know, of course, this is a different track, but again, our expectations of him are going up because as Lauren says, he is a brilliant talent.
2: No, I, I think that's uh, very possible. Um Okay, it depends a little bit where the Williams is around that track. I haven't really kind of analysed where it's quick and where it's not. But um, but Williams are in Russell's hands at least right up there competing with Alfa Romeo's Haas are in trouble um as well, so the two Ferrari powered cars. So that creates an opportunity to get into Q2 even in, in dry conditions for Williams, because uh if, if they can if Russell can hustle his car ahead of those drivers,
1: then uh th- then he's in there. Yeah, George actually said after Sunday's race that he thinks that the car be a little bit more suited to the Hungara ring, um which surprised me a bit because it's got the Mercedes power unit. I wondered if Austria would have been better, but he seems to think that it's quite draggy um, and it's going to be good when, it's, when they've got downforce on it for there. So uh, he's quite hopeful that it'll be a bit better. Uh, and he admitted it was his own fault, really. He got excited racing in the midfield. He hasn't <laughs> been doing it for a long time. Um, the poor guy. It has been two, well, more than two years, really. He dominated F2 to the extent that, even then, rarely was he racing people. He was just cruising out front or or you know slightly defending. But to be fighting in the mid-pack has been a long time for him. So uh, I think we can forgive him an error in Austria and he'll, he'll be looking to put that right and like Lawrence says I, th- I think we'll see that he will react really strongly
0: well now we go to some of our predictions slash questions that we've gotten on Facebook and best believe they get bolder here guys <laughs> so brace yourselves Strapping TC Lim says both Lewis and Bottas will stop at the finish line and say to each other I insist after you no no please after you and Toto will fracture his hand I don't know if TC knows Lewis Hamilton. (laughs) I definitely do not see. As friendly as they are with each other and the respect is there, definitely do not see that.
1: (laughs) Well, it was here, was it 2017 or 2018, where um, Bottas moved over for Lewis to have a go at the two Ferraris when they were running one and two. And um, on the final lap, Lewis slowed right down at the final corner. Let Bottas get ahead of him, and I think it's Verstappen who was right behind Bottas, and he had to time it perfectly. It was really tricky and dangerous to give the place back, mm. but he did it out the final corner on the final lap. So that was a proper after you moment at this track, uh, and, he, and he pulled it off. But yeah, you're right, that won't be happening if there's a win on the cards. That one, no.
0: nice. is um, history. <laughs>
2: I, I think Mercedes have uh, slightly learned their lessons from uh, situations like that as well, because at the first race in Austria, they could have shuffled the drivers so that Lewis had a chance to basically stay ahead of where Lando was on track with that five-second uh, penalty and, and make sure he took the podium. And Mercedes basically said they thought about it, but they considered it way too risky. So, um, yeah, I don't know how serious that question was. Probably wasn't. But there, there is some interesting uh, there is some interesting backstory there with Mercedes and, and uh, how much they like to kind of get involved and kind of try and, you know, get the best possible result. And there's times when it's just not worth it. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think Mercedes at this stage of the season, while Bottas is still leading in the championship, uh, I don't think they're going to be getting too involved with uh, with their drivers either.
0: Well, here's a long one from Darren Gale, and brace yourselves for it, because I, I, I kind of like it. I think there's some method to his madness. He says, Lewis will storm it, Lando P2, Carlos P3, Bottas will get taken out by Verstappen, Perez P4, Danny Rick P5, Russell P6, and then the next few spots, anyone except for per- Ferrari, there'll be p9 and 10 and that's me being generous providing they don't play bumper cars again <laughs> so a lot to unpack there guys
1: i like it i like i like how specific that was apart from the p7 and 8 which are apparently up for grabs um, <laughs> but uh, yeah that was that would be some race if we see that i tell you can we rem- make sure someone makes a note of that prediction? Because if any of it 100%. comes right, I want I want to get in touch with that guy and get the lottery numbers.
0: I was just going to say that. We have to ask you. Lawrence, any method to <laughs> his madness you see here? <laughs> Apart from uh, Lewis
2: Storming. Unless I'm wrong, there was no mention of Albon. So, he, I mean, he's really kind of hitting hard on Albon there. He's, he must be in the P7 or 8 whatever category. But oh, yeah, I, I like how... It was like so much energy went into getting that that top six and it was so wild and it was like, oh yeah, and and the rest.
0: Yeah, Uh, yeah. (laughs) and the rest and and Ferrari somewhere down the bottom. (laughs) P9 and 10 being generous. Michael says, bold prediction, there will be a 19 car pileup and the guy in P20 will finish first.
2: Well, if there Uh, is a 19 uh, car pileup, then the guy in P20 will finish finish first. first. But uh, but I... (laughs) I don't know. I mean, that would be crazy, wouldn't it? But I don't think we've ever had a situation. The last one I remember where it took out a significant proportion of the field was Spa uh, 98, was it? The Cruiser Montville, yeah. uh, correct me on that? Yeah, '98, uh, where it, it, it was a wet race and it, they, they all took each other after getting through the first corner. And, uh, but then they had test cars so they could go back and get into a different car and start the race again. Or at least some of them could. So, um, yeah, it doesn't very, happen very often, but, you know, hey, it would be exciting, wouldn't it, for, for a lap?
1: I was about to say as well, go like, oh, Nicholas Latifi wins. But to be fair to him, <laughs> oh. I was quite impressed with his early performance in the first two races. And this is a track he knows well. And the Williams is is better than that. I, there's no guarantee that that's the car that's starting P20, which is at least nice to see that we don't have uh, the back row locked out every weekend again like we've had in the past. So it's a, it's a nice competitive field behind Mercedes this year, isn't it?
0: <laughs> it definitely is. Especially Ferrari's fall from grace is making it even better. But. Here's another one from Luca, speaking of Ferrari, he says, the two Ferrari trucks will crash into each other on their way to Budapest.
1: (laughs) I saw a picture someone put up of uh, a couple of, I think, four or five eights on a a, uh, European motorway somewhere that collided and said Vettel and the clerk on their way to the Hungarian Grand Prix, which is a bit harsh, Um, but was nicely done. I mean, they're going to get so much stick, aren't they, Ferrari? They, they think the car's got a bit better, actually. They just never got to see it in the race on Sunday. But they, the Vettel was actually quite positive after Friday. Um, they really, really, really need at least a clean weekend. Um, but it just controversy follows that team around. And mm-hmm. you, you genuinely would not put it against something else, like stupid, basically, happening. Um, it's just the way it seems to have been recently. So, um, yeah, some of these predictions, I, I know they're saying it tongue-in-cheek, but... Um. yeah, you still, you kind of, from a Ferrari perspective, you watch a trepidation about what's going to happen.
0: Tony asks, question, how did Ferrari get so backwards? Oh, Tony, I don't even know where we can start with that one. That probably will have to be saved for another podcast because we're running out of time. And Varun says, Perez will actually fight with Albon all race and gets him by the end. And there are more protests submitted to the FIA. (laughs)
2: Well, yeah, I mean, Kristen Horner at the end of uh, the last race said that all teams need to be a bit worried about the pace of uh, Racing Point, kind of hinting that you know that, that, that they've got an eye on it as well. But um, yeah, the, the Renault one seems, seems particularly spicy because, of course, it was the other way around where Racing Point uh, protested Renault's uh, brake bias system in Japan last year. So I think there's um, yeah, there, there's a little bit of bad blood between those two, but. Yeah, I, I think if that racing point is legal and they don't have to make uh, changes to it, and uh, and it's allowed to race the way it is, I think Perez will regularly be um, catching up with Albon in races and uh, putting him under pressure.
1: All right. Yeah, the only downside, I guess, is it's a lot harder to overtake there, but um. I like the fact they said more, more protests because we're two for two so far. 100% record. Two races, yeah. two protests. So let's keep, let's keep that going. I don't, there's nothing else to go and do. I'm not allowed out. So I don't mind a late night at the track.
0: <laughs> That's actually very true. Well, of course, that brings us to the end of our podcast, Man Time Flies, when you're having fun. Thank you so much, Chris, for joining us. This definitely has been one of the more fun podcasts that we've done. Not saying that we don't miss Nate and his fabulous arms, but you know what? They are big, they are big shirts to fill and you fill them well. Thank you guys, of course, to all of our listeners um, for listening in. We hope you join us again on Sunday when we do this all over again. Keep your questions and bold predictions coming in. We'll definitely tackle them next week, midweek. But as for now, it's too late.